0: Welcome to the London Review Bookshop.
1: Thank you so much for um, coming, being here. It's lovely to see so many beloved faces. Um, I wanted to say my thanks first because I'm worried I'm going to get too nervous to say them later. So if you'll bear with me, I'm just going to say some, a couple of quick thank yous. So I wanted to thank Peter Strauss for um, looking after me for so long and uh, to James who ended up with a writing wife and has dealt with it with grace. <laughs> and um, especially to Robin Robertson, who's, um, who's just been the most extraordinary editor for this book in all its stages. And um, I'm incredibly grateful to have had all his magnificent input. So all the failures in the poem that, poems that you're about to hear are mine, and all the good stuff is probably due to Robin. Ace of Base. That was the summer. Hormones poured into me, like an incredible chemical cocktail into a tall, iced glass. My teenage heart, a glossy maraschino cherry, bobbing on top as that rainbow shimmered through me, lighting me up like a fish, and I was drunk, obsessed, desperate to be touched colour streaming from my iridescent body as the wide summer night threw open its doors and called us into the evening to sit in its love seat and gossip about boys. Though we'd have fucked anyone back then, each other had we dared. Right there on the tennis courts all us unparented girls released from the boarding house to practice our backhand desire between us like a shared addiction in its crooked spoon desire and the holding back the terrible restraint as we listened to the top 40 or our three cds till the batteries ran down, till the asphalt's grit had pressed its intricate red pattern on our thighs. And we talked about who'd done what with whom and how it felt, all of us quickening. And sex wasn't here yet, but it was coming. And we were running towards it, its gorgeous euphoric mist, pushing into our own starved bodies at night for relief like the after-calm might last, like there was a deep well of love on the other side. I'm going to read um, a few poems from the first section of the book, which is called Zeus. Zeus sometimes speaks in the poems, So when he does that, I'm not going to knock Daisy out. I'm going to hold my arms out to indicate that he's taking place, taking space. Zeus. Days I talked with Zeus, I ate only ice, felt the blood trouble and burn under my skin, found blisters on the soft parts of my body, bulletproof glass and a speakerphone between us and still I wasn't safe. Thunder moved in my brain, tissue crease, Hemorrhage. I kept the dictaphone running. It recorded nothing but my own voice, balkanized and screaming, You won't get away with this. Archives. Zeus on parole. No fun. This ankle band tazes me every time I brush the bounds, and yet it is, shall we say, erotic, its sudden curse, its thrill, surveillance, track and field. Zeus with his hair in a golden tail down at the running track, coaching girls spikes on asphalt. I will make you as fast as shock-lightning my beauties if you listen, if you groom well. Zeus' Anatomical Dolls. It's hard to explain. Let me show you with the anatomical dolls. They have buttons for eyes and details under their pants you wouldn't believe. Look underneath at the girl's folded labia, vagina, the tucked-in silk and string umbilical of a pull-down poppet fetus, or the male's miniature penis, his cotton-bag scrotum, his sphincter ringed in little puckered stitches. So the girl doll took off her frilly knickers and the boy doll pushed down his trousers and did this. And you might think it was love, if you hadn't seen Act One. The male doll playing punch, Judy trembling and bruised, her bloody nose. Tell me what's the word for this? This spreading of the legs and lips to delay violence? And where's the rough music, all my sharivari pots and wooden spoons to out you, Zeus? To drive you through the streets with songs that find a name for you at last. You filthy pimp, you animal, you rapist. I'm going to um, read three of the transformations. Robin made me write them. <laughs> Transformation Nemesis. I fled up river Cut gills, sprang scales, He was teeth in the water, rudder tailed. I became a snake and hid on my belly, He became a mongoose, ricky tikki tavi I became long-eared and burrowed into earth, He was muscle in the tunnels, trap-jawed, fast, I was a deer streaking for the hills, he was the runner snapping at my heels, I fletched black and tan and flew against the wind, before I reached the stars, he was swan, I was pinned, we made a crater where we fell, screaming through the night, a bloody prolapse, his shame, not mine. Transformation Callisto, split urethra, fistula, stitched rectum, infant removed for its own protection. Her breasts are searing bags of milk, her shirt is soaked, she will not talk. Her mother takes her home, coaxes her to eat, roasts chicken with potatoes, herbs and salts the skins. Callisto picks the carcass clean, moves on. Pork chops, dumplings, chouquettes, canals, past repletion, through to the distended gullet, forced stomach, goose with a funnel down its throat and the grain shoveled in with a scoop beak tied shut, liver warped. She holds herself down, clamps her mouth, piles on flesh like upholstery, does violence to herself, cuts infected sores, squats to shit, does not wipe, does not wash, her hair down her back in a matted clump her hunch and look away demeanor delivering her over onto all fours patchy fur hardened claws her mother searches in the dark every doorway and underpass finds her daughter might ridden and stubborn callisto i love you come home Cornered by a ranger one morning, Callisto rakes at the air with her paws, Is chased out of town with trank guns and flares, Their falling coals like meteors. But there is pleasure in the woods, The sun shining amber on her fur, The teeming world of the river As she hunts headlong after fish, or shins up a tree tracking bees and bites through the sugared wax crust to the golden ooze of the honey. She grooms herself with a rasped tongue heaving her body over to reach her belly. There are moments in her cave when she almost feels safe and sleeps to dream of the cub who mewed at her briefly before he was taken his eyes swollen shut from the pressure of birth, his small blind face searching for her voice, his kicking legs and his tiny fists waving. Bundled out of the room, perfect human. Her voice, when she calls for him, is the voice of her own mother weeping. Go ahead, Zeus constellate this. Surveillance. Zeus watching carp in the hospital pond. On xenoflate, zemperon X, xanotax, getting an erection through the haze, shifting back and forth, fidgeting with his slacks, distressed. The sight nurse brings pills in a doll-sized paper cup. These are for you, Zeus. Hold out your tongue. What nymphs go dancing in your brain? What tortures? I will rape a child with an implement, and that implement will be swan. I think I need to do something cheery now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to find James's poem. Love Poem Luca. All week I'm drawn to the watchtower. It has trees springing out of its head like a tall brick bars of forest. I want to go up, I insist. We climb 200 winding stairs to the lovely green oak tree crown where, of course, I fail. The four walls sledging off through space have me utterly wasted. Wanting to spread headlong on my belly and grip the bricks with my nails, even then caught in the vertical fall of the avalanche, its hollow core. How could the trees root here? We've brought up our girl. She ricochets between the ledge and the steep of the stair like a firework in a confined space, half-crazed, about to fall. I cannot look. Here is James, scooping us up, his trembling, ghost-faced wife, his fearless, wayward daughter, guiding us back down the steps. So much for the tower like a beautiful red elevator. So much for the sunlit view of the hills beyond, or the city walls, or the red roofs crowded in between like boats in haven. I stay close to my husband. I hold his hand. Listen, child. He's the sure and steady ground. Because of him, we live. Fly. Spring broke out but my soul did not, it kept to sleet and inwards fog, forget-me-nots around the path, a speckled thrush, I spoke rarely and had a sour mouth, I couldn't make love, my husband lay beside me in the dark, I listened till he slept. I picked out all the bad parts of my day like sore jewels and polished them till they hurt. I wanted to take myself off like a misshapen jumper, a badly fitting frock. I wanted to peel it off and burn it in the garden with the rubbish, pushing it deep into the fire with a fork. And what sliver of my stripped and pelted soul there still remained, I'd have it gone smoked out, shunned, fled not into the Milky Way, that shining path of souls, but the in-between, the nothing. But this overshoots the mark, this gnashing sorrow, so Wagnerian, it was more a vague gray element I moved in that kept me remote and slow, like a bound and stifled fly, half paralyzed, drugged dumb, its soft and intermittent buzz, its torpid struggle in the spider's sick cocoon. What now if I call on the sublime? What bright angels of the pharmacon will come now if I call and rip this sticky gauze and tear me out? Um, This is a poem about giving birth wildebeest i became beast i submitted to my body's wild stampede to deliver you safe to the other side And I was both the flood and the furious corral from which you were expelled, trampled and pressed and hammered like metal, almost crushed in that torrent of muscle its coursing rift. I couldn't not push, stretching and scolding, as if I were giving birth to some fierce Turian star, spoked at the rim thorned like the sun and I tore as you crowned with your fist beside your face slick little wildebeest who first doused how I arched trailing you behind me my half-born calf unfolding like sharp origami then falling in a hot and slippery rush to be brought from water now ruddled with blood and laid on my breast dark-haired like your sister Incarnate, loved. And I'm I'm just going to finish with two poems. One this is called meningitis and is about my paternal grandma. My mum was a little bit upset that her mum hadn't made it in, so I've had to write one for her. <laughs> Luckily it's a keeper or I'd be in trouble. Hmm meningitis my grandmother diminished in her bones loyal to her large print mills and boon and her soaps bent perpendicular over her zimmer weeping still weeping for her daughter june who was sweet so sweet the child of her heart, soft blonde curls and forget-me-not eyes, gentle and kind, how June took care of the evacuees, holding out their towels as they stepped from the disinfectant bath to be deloused. How, after all that, the world's war and its shell-shocked peace, The Mickey Mouse gas mask packed away at last. June went to bed with half a soluble aspirin for a headache and by the morning was gone. The way my grandmother tells it, she didn't know there was anything out of the ordinary wrong. And June died in the night in wet sheets alone as the terrible roses bloomed beneath her skin my grandmother out of her mind with pain, writhing and kicking on the kitchen linoleum while my uncle as a boy watched on. Which is why my father came to be born, to bring her back to the living, a baby to hold. And this is my inheritance, this heirloom of grief, the way my daughter's fevers crush me, how I check their skin obsessively for telltale burns. How I scoop them out of the flames where the devil eats them. Daughter, like a hot poultice, I hold against my frightened heart. The marks I make above my door that the angel of the plague might pass. Where my grandmother waits, standing on the threshold in her red velour slippers unable to step over, peering fearfully into the dark. I'm going to finish with Eurofighter Typhoon. My daughters are playing outside with plastic hoops. The elder is trying to hula over and over. It falls off her hips, but she keeps trying And the younger is watching and giggling, and they're happy in the bright afternoon. I'm indoors at the hob with the door open so I can see them, because the elder might trip, and the younger is still a baby and liable to eat dirt. When out of clear skies, a jet comes in low over the village. At the first muted roar, the elder runs in squealing and stops in the kitchen, her eyes adjusting to the dimness, looking foolish and unsure. I drop the spoon and bag of peas and leave her frightened and tittering, wiping my hands on my jeans, trying to walk and not run because I don't want to scare the baby Who still sat on the patio alone looking for her sister bewildered trying to figure why she's gone all this in the odd dead pause of the lag then sound catches up with the plane and now it's grey bellies right over our house with a metallic grinding scream like the skies being chainsawed open and the baby's face drops to a square of pure fear. She tips forward and flattens her body on the ground and presses her face into the concrete slab. I scoop her up and she presses in, shuddering, screaming her strange halts pain cry. And it's all right now, I tell her again and again. But it's never all right now. Christ have mercy. My daughter in my arms can't steady me. Always some woman is running to catch up her children. We dig them out of the rubble in parts like plaster dolls. Mary, mother of God, have mercy. Mercy on us all.
2: I just want to sit in silence and let them. <laughs> um, but I will instead quiz you mercilessly. The first poem you read um, is also the poem that opens the collection. Um, I this poem about these uh, teenagers um, finding their sexuality. And it stands alone. It's kind of separate from both of the parts that the collection is in. And I wondered why why it's there, why you chose that as your opener.
1: I kind of wanted it to talk across Zeus in a way. but it, I mean, also, there's, such a, there's that kind of openness about teenage sexuality and optimism that can so easily go, you know, that can get you into all sorts of trouble, can't it? So I think I wanted that optimism and celebration first before I ruined it. And, uh, and also, it was, it kind of, I kind of wanted it to gesture across to the love poems in the other side of the collection. So poems for the girls or for James?
2: Yeah, yeah, it works really well as a sort of envelope. I think it almost protects yeah. you from these um, Zeus poems, which oh, are. I've been rereading the collection, and the Zeus poems are beautiful and shocking and stunning, and they kind of no, they knock you a bit, I think, as you read them, which is, um, yeah, what they should do. Um, and they're in the voice of Zeus, and also in the voice of lots of other characters from ancient myth, and that's something that people seem to be doing a lot at the moment, mm-hmm. particularly, I think. Giving voice to women, which you seem to be doing. Do you, why do you think there's so much of the so much retelling around?
1: Well, first of all, I think the issue of kind of giving voice to them. I mean, that's always happened, hasn't it? In the in the plays, mm. the Greek plays, there, there is often a chorus that is very female or is expressing female woes and troubles. So, um, and then something like Seneca's Trojan Women. You, you know, that's that's doing it. That's female caste, and looking at the Trojan War from a very female perspective of grief and loss and children, both male and female, being lost to war and to its aftermath. So I think, that, um, I think it's a fallacy to think that that's a new strain. But I think, I think it's one of those things like um, folk tales and folk culture. We kind of put classics, the classics in a different But I think actually they're quite, they're almost the same thing and we use them as vehicles to express things in our time that are still happening and still relevant. Yeah. What was your process of deciding you
2: wanted to work with them? Why why did you decide you wanted to work with these stories in particular?
1: I I didn't. They kind of chose me. Yeah. (laughs) Robin pushed me. (laughs) So I started off with some of the Zeus poems and then Callisto was one of the first transformations Mm -hmm. I'd written. And Robin suggested I went and had a look at some more and had a go at some more. And that was very helpful. Is that fair? (laughs) Bullied. (laughs) Bullied me, yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It reminded me, in your first collection, there's this this section, this really beautiful section, um, with poems narrated by Van Gogh, about Van Gogh, And um, I'm going to quote you, I hope you don't mind, about writing these. You said, I had the experience sometimes of sort of leaning against the paintings and somehow falling through into a secret I hadn't found a way to write about yet. Um, I wondered if your experience of writing the Zeus poems was similar to your experience of writing those poems. Was the
1: process the same? No. Uh, Well, yes and no. So the Van Gogh things, I was kind of looking for them and kind of pressing up against these paintings. And then sometimes it would fall through into something... Yeah, into these weird rooms and things that I needed to say. The Zeus poems were a bit different in that I got the first lot of them very quickly and intensely, and they just kind of arrived. Mm. Um, And it was also quite an oral thing, so Zeus was shouting in my ear a bit. So it was a bit different. But also with the Van Gogh poems, I was very aware of using it as a mask and kind of that being a liberating thing to say things I wanted to say I'm not sure but the Zeus I don't think that was operating as much as a mask I think does that make sense yeah
2: although what really is interesting about them is they are about these classical characters but there's also a lot uh Trump's in there Trump Tower's in there Brooke Turner's in there yeah I did so I did feel like you were using these poems to say something,
1: yeah. to say something about what
2: you felt about the world we were living in.
1: Well, there's such. I mean, there was. There's just been such a rash of allegations and women coming forward, and so I guess you'd see it as there being a lot of triggers and material, and they
2: look very different on the page, both from the poems in your other collection and from the poems in. Um, so the collection is split into two sections, um, and they look very different. And you know, I loved when you were reading, holding your arms out to show that the Zeus bit, the bits narrated by Zeus are actually in capital letters, um, which I found really, really evocative. And um, reading reviews about them, the word I've heard used most is violence. They're, they're violent poems. People feel they're very violent poems. And I wondered how writing about <coughs> violence, this kind of violence, changed the way the poems came to you, changed the way the language, the language you used.
1: It's it's slightly tricky to answer because some of it did feel so oral and kind of arriving. I think I have always been a little bit violent. (laughs) And I think I have some good literary precedents who are also sometimes violent in their language. (laughs) Yeah, it did. I mean, it made me feel vulnerable. It did make me feel vulnerable writing them. Mm. But I have support. It didn't feel safe. Yeah, right. is that what you're looking for? It, these weren't I'm safe. not looking for anything. <laughs> <laughs> these weren't safe to write, but right. I was looked after. Sorry. No, don't
2: be sorry. <laughs> I wanna, but I do want to talk more about the way they appear on the page, because for me, is that okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's a poem which I think you were right not to read, because it's in the shape of a well. Um, so I was reading it on the train, and I was going round and round and round and making myself feel very sick. <laughs> um, and the poems, these poems often seem to mirror what they were about, I think. Okay. Um,
1: yeah. This uh, one I did when I was writing it, it felt yeah. clearly but um, I have to give a shout out to Alice here with Booth, who did this for me. Oh, amazing. Um, <laughs> with her lovely in her amazing arty ways. Because I knew what I wanted, but there was no way I was gonna be able to do that. Yeah. So um, Alice did this for me because I saw it very clearly mm. as this kind of sucking in yeah. well type shape quite early on in the draft, so right. I was drafting it that way, okay. which is easier by hand than on computer, I then
2: found. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's really beautiful on the page. And I think you feel sucked in. You also feel her disorientation as she's falling into the swell. Um, and that's something I really felt with the other poems, You know, particularly with the capital letters. Zeus is yelling at these yeah, characters he he's talking to. And at the same time, he's filling the space on the page, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. The way they look is mirroring what they're about.
1: Yeah, well, it, it's, yeah. it is a kind of a bullying isn't it? Right. I, mean, I guess the typeset is bullying as well. Yes. Yeah. Is that something you thought about? No, just <laughs> that's how it came.
2: Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it is. Zeus is a really interesting, horrible character. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was really interested in him. He seemed quite human to me. He's very, he seems very emotional. He's a psychopath. You, you talk about these poems kind of coming to you. Was it a purposeful thing to write him like this, to write him as a contemporary human? Um, who's almost, who isn't godlike? who's very,
1: who does seem quite emotional. Well, it was kind of about, I think I was kind of writing about the way that Zeus incarnates in the world around us, I suppose, as an abuser and a rapist mm-hmm. and kind of the many faces of Zeus. And uh, I guess as a god, he was pretty flawed and human anyway, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're just flawed on a larger scale, maybe. Were you ever going to write about him in a different way, was, or was no. he, he always came out this way? Yeah, he just. Yeah, I wouldn't intend to write about him at all, to right. be honest.
2: But this is what happened. And did the structure come in a similar way? Um, so at times it feels like we're watching things through a camera in the prison. Yeah. Um, and at times it seems almost like a court report. Yeah. Was that something that came to you organically or that you worked towards? or?
1: It did come pretty organically, but I think there are lots of influences for that. So kind of lots of people doing interesting things with... Sequences like, um, and I'm a big fan of Anne Carson, for example, and Rita Dove, and um, Notazaki Shanga, who died recently. Um, so I have, I think I read for colour girls who committed suicide very early on, like back when I was an undergrad, and that's kind of been simmering. And that has lots of different approaches to telling the story. There was a run of them that came, and then there were others that came in later that kind of filled in. Can you tell us which ones which were <laughs> I'm not sure I can remember now. <laughs> the first few pages and then Callisto and Yeah, some of the personal ones. Right. I loved Callisto. Thank I you. loved
2: the excess in it, the kind of um, the food images and the um, the shitting images and it seemed very much to be about bodies, what it means to have a body, and I mm. think that's something that runs through everything that you write that um, kind of leads us into the second section.
1: What is it that draws you to writing about bodies? I'm really interested in, but I don't oh, yeah. know, I'm really interested in biology and bodies mm. and all the strange things they do. And um, I love poetry about bodies as well. I love, you know, Sharon olds mm. and um, Lucille Clifton, and I, I just find it fascinating, yeah. I've also seen, seen
2: you say that you sometimes feel there are things women shouldn't write about, women in particular shouldn't write about. You know, this is potentially linked to writing about the body,
1: yeah, that's right. So I felt that um, I'd heard somebody say that women shouldn't write about the body because it was a kind of trap that women are permitted to write about the body and therefore should be doing more intellectual stuff. But of course, that's the trap. Women can write about whatever they want to. There shouldn't be any limits on it. So mm. if I want to write about the body, that's A-OK. <laughs> yeah.
2: And you didn't feel any fear about, you know, you, this is also a collection about Motherhood and grief, and um, and again, like the violence, you know, did, and very much un, unswervingly talking about the violence, you know, you don't use you use every word exactly. You never say another word when the actual word will do. You say you say rape and vagina and penis. Was the fear Shh. about? Sorry. <laughs> um, was
1: the fear about doing that? Um, I think there's I think there's always fear, and I don't talk like that in real life, do I? <laughs> but um I think I see when I'm when I'm writing poems I see it as a very private place that I can mm. say whatever I want. Yeah. So I do. Yeah. <laughs> you just get over it by doing it. Yeah. I don't yeah, <laughs> I guess it, I mean it's such a unedited <clears throat> but to begin with it's so unedited. Right. And and I have these notebooks and nobody's ever going to see in them. So yeah, yeah. but I'm always afraid. <laughs> Especially of reactions of people close
2: to me, or mm. yeah, and that's interesting. This idea of, and I think that's a good way to write. You know, uh, no one's going to read it. Yeah, but when you're reading this book, you do feel like you're positioned in a particular place. You almost feel, um, you know, there are times I wrote down one of your lines: um, "Go ahead, Zeus, constellate this." You know, um, there are lines calling out to you as a reader, um, imploring you, or almost asking what you're doing. I think making you complicit. And I wondered. At some, at what point do you start thinking about the reader? At what point do you consider where they're standing in relation to the poem?
1: Well, I do a lot of drafts, so I don't think I do think. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I think um, either the poem's working or it's not, mm. and and you know that. I think. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, there's not a wrong answer. <laughs> and it kind of is, isn't it? I mean, I do. I want. I I guess as a general thing, I don't want to exclude people. Mm. from my writing. I want it to be open and accessible and I don't want it to be stuck in an ivory tower. You know, I don't come from that kind of background and I I want people to be able to understand it. So I guess I try and make it clear, although that doesn't work because my dad still says it's incomprehensible. (laughs) (laughs) So from that perspective I Mm. try and respect that there is a reader yeah. And that I don't you know, I it is an act of communication for me, it's not an act of whatever the opposite would be. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I heard you say that I've heard you talk about your work in muddy drafts. You talked about doing a lot of drafts. Can you tell yeah. us a bit about your process?
1: How are you Was well, yeah, the Zeus Pans were a little bit different because some of those came mm-hmm. without much drafting, but usually it's like twenty, thirty drafts. Yeah. Which that's not the same for pros, is it? How many Um well, You were on draft four, you said. How many drafts will you end up with? Um, My novel was, mm, I
2: guess, seven rewrites and then, I guess, five drafts after that. Okay. Um, But that was a stupid. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That was a stupid way to do it. (laughs) Well, clearly not. (laughs) Um, I would never do it like that again.
1: How do you know? (laughs) Well, yeah. Fingers
2: crossed. I'm not going to do that.
1: and how much changes from your first draft to the, the draft that we yeah, see here? A, it, well, it depends on the poem. So some of them arrive, and they're pretty much there. But that's quite rare. And usually, it's more like trying to tune a dial on a radio to tune into something. So there'll be something that's intriguing, or that I want to push further with. Right. And then, so the first draft can still be really creative, I think. Mm. And they look like it on the page as well. They're quite messy. And then, as it gets more together, it kind of gets neater. Right. And then Robin looks at <coughs> drafts, about twenty drafts in, maybe. And how many drafts after? As
2: as there after that, once but someone else. Usually, some. Right. Yeah, not always. But <laughs> yeah. That's and how much we disagree. Right. <laughs> A lot of these poems, you know, there's there's breaks, um, kind of scissoring through the poems. Or the the line breaks are you know, you can hear them when you read them are very purposeful. At what point does that does the form come into your drafting?
1: That's quite early, I think, because it the language has a kind of internal rhythm, yeah. So I'm trying to hear that, so that sometimes helps with the other material that's coming through. Mm. Yeah. But I've been kind of using more of longer lines and longer rhythms okay. in this book, which I think is more kind of American poetry influenced because
2: you've been reading more American poetry or? Yeah, pretty much, Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and we talked about this a bit downstairs, but about what you're writing next. Is it, are, the, are your lines
1: still longer? Is the form similar? A bit, bit of both, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just playing, really, right now. Right. Um, a bit of both, some short. I mean, I think we have that available to us now. We've got such great accessibility, mm-hmm. access to literature from over, in the States and Australia, and goodness knows where. So, we've got kind of lots of traditions to draw on. So, it doesn't have to be one thing or the other, does it? You can draw on the British tradition. And yeah, so I hope, I think the new stuff, there's some that's more short and sharp, and then there's more, right. that, some that's longer lines and more discursive.
2: And without bullying you into telling us about it, is it are you taking on other voices the way you've done with the last two books? Are you thinking about taking another Not one? Yeah, no. Right. Seeing where it's going. Well, <laughs> I'm just playing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I also heard you talk a bit about autobiography. And uh, so, uh, obviously, in the second section, there are poems about children. And then when we read your biography at the back, and it says it talks about your two children. I wonder if um, this is something that happens to women more than men, where everything they write is kind of presumed to be autobiography. Is that something you find difficult? How do you? How do you deal with that?
1: I think it happens quite a lot now, doesn't it? Mm. But the thing, I mean, the slight problem for me is that most of it is quite (laughs) autobiographical. And I can't, I'm not going to lie about that. It it is often coming out of my life or experiences. So Sharon Olds has the term apparently personal. Yeah, I think for me as a writer, that is something that I do. Mm. And, And if it's all right for writers like Sharon Olds and Mark Doty, then yeah. That's okay, um, but I do have sympathies for women who are not writing in that way and are getting read that way. And mm. I think yeah, you're probably right. Probably does happen more for women. And it almost feels like
2: it shouldn't matter whether yeah, it's it autobiographical. You know, it shouldn't. No. And then maybe Sharon Old is different because particularly Stag's Leap was so. You know, I think she wanted you to know. It was. It was part. Maybe part of the way you read it.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Maybe after a time, you just give up saying, right. It's not about me. Yeah. <laughs> when it clearly. Um, okay, I'm open to
2: see if he agrees. <laughs> <laughs> if he agrees. <laughs> there's a lot of transformation. Uh, there's the transformation poems in the zoo section, but even in the later poems in the collection, emotion changes the characters into different things. Grief turns them, you know, turns them into a fly. Um, the, the birth poem, the characters turning into this wildebeest. What is it about? that line between, you know, between the human and the animal, the human nature that so <coughs> intrigues you that, that you, why, you, why do you write about that so much?
1: Well, it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the kind of metaphorical leap, isn't it, that's happening, it, and I seem to reach for animals. I think um, I think it's just that that's where my interests lie, in the same way that I'm interested <coughs> in biology, I'm kind of interested right. in animals and interested in humans as animals, as mm-hmm. bodies and as animals, so I like being out in the natural world and that kind of, I mean, it is one of my interests, so I think mm-hmm. that's why it comes in.
2: And I've seen you, I mean, you've been called a nature poet.
1: Yeah. How do you feel about that? I don't mind, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Like, if anybody's talking about my work mm. at all, I'm just thrilled. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do I care what they call me? Yeah. <laughs> and like, nature poet or confessional, I mean, that's putting me in with some pretty great writers. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get funny about it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: The final poem you read is also the final poem in the collection and it's I think maybe one of my favourite favourite of the poems in there again you know you talked about very purposely beginning with something uh, why did you end on you know the end line in Mary mother of God have mercy on us all why does it end
1: on this note this particular because I think the world is in a really dreadful dreadful place right now and I think the way we treat people from other countries and Mm. yeah and just it's just horrible i mean if there was one wish for anything it would be for mercy yeah Yeah. and it seemed like a good place to end
2: i think we're going to open up to questions now if that's okay
3: um okay i've got two questions just a bit sneaky uh one is i'm really interested in the fact well firstly your treatment of Hera in the zeus poems and um her role in the myths as um, someone who's quite um, vengeful to Zeus's victims and I thought you handled her beautifully in the sequence uh, and I just wondered if you talk a little bit about that and my second question was um, whether we should be reading anything into the fact that the final punishment piece in that sequence um, that's what loosely calling it uh, whether we should be reading into anything with the fact that it's Ganymede uh, Zeus's one male conquest, and whether we exact vengeance for people who attack men more um, purposefully than we do women.
1: So the, the, Gany- the Ganymede poem, I, I wanted one that was about, well, I didn't want it, but it came along and it seemed appropriate that because young men get abused as well and it felt important to me that the sequence acknowledged that um, and at the back of my mind was, um, I'd seen the Moors murders and the mother still looking for her boy on the Moors. And I don't think he was ever found. And I think that was resonating for me in that poem as well. And just the grief of that, I think, is in that poem. The hero, yeah, there's a kind of ambivalence, I think, because um, you want her not to be that vengeful goddess. So there is a kind of supplication to her at one point. Yeah, the things she did were dreadful in the stories. So uh, her vengeance was awful, awful, turning Io into a cow and, you know, poor old Echo. (laughs) Yeah, I think I just wanted both those sides in there.
3: Hi, Um, when it comes to your, obviously because you're retelling myths and classics, are there any retellings that you felt inspired you the most or any that you just prefer, even if you didn't use them personally? Are there any that you drew on or do you feel like you try to tell them in a completely different way? Because obviously it seems like a trend at the moment. I don't think it is a trend as you say, but did you feel like you used any in particular? Like with the transformation for example, like was it Ovid in your mind or was it purely Homer, or okay. what was it?
1: Yeah. Um- the, to begin with, I, didn't, I wasn't referring back at all. It was just, you know, we kind of collect these. So that's what I meant by kind of comparing it to folk culture. We kind of have these stories in us through our reading and, you know, our general life. We kind of know a lot of these stories. So to begin with, it was just that kind of digestion of the stories and the myths. But then I did go and look at uh, Ovid's Metamorphoses, yeah, and so on, yeah. But I've also been really inspired by there's loads of other people that use um myth really excitingly, like Anne Carson and Alice Oswald and Robin Robertson. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think um their examples are very liberating and Um, I just wanna say thank you so much for your talk and please stop talking yourself down. Um like everyone here loved it so much, I'm sure. Um and I, my question is kind of to both of you and it concerns um the collision between uh, drawing, uh, drawing from the classics, and using like the female body to do so. So um, Fiona's collection um, massively is influenced by the classics, and but also kind of deals with sexual um, abuse and rape, uh, as well as like in Wildebeest uh, motherhood, and then like Daisy's Everything Under is like an Oedipal retelling uh, that looks at, at like transitioning. Gendered body, and I was wondering whether there's anything particular about using um, the body itself as like a site for these mythical retellings or rememberings.
2: Mm, good question. You first. Um, <laughs> thank you. I suppose what I really felt when reading this was that we—I guess we all have a body, and we can all identify with ha- <laughs> having a body, and you know, living and dying, and you know, uh, everything that goes with that. And it's a It's a good way to root these myths for the reader, uh, for us, you know, a way to make us understand these stories which are often, yeah, one of the issues with writing, with retelling the Oedipus myth was that it's really, you know, it has a lot of archaic ideas and, you know, the the boy is taken up into the mountains and left to the wolves. It's all about fate, which is not something we really talk about or believe in anymore, uh, most of us. Yeah, so I think it was how to make, how to make the reader feel like this was happening now, this was current, this was relevant, and I also think similarly, um, I love writing about the body, I think it is, uh, just, it's just weird having a body, isn't it? <laughs> like being trapped in this sort of like skin cage um, <laughs> uh, that everybody else has.
1: I, th- I think for, for me, you know, when, when you look at the way Ovid tells these stories, you know, and Zeus raped Callisto, and then Callisto gave birth to Arcas, and, so I think looking at the bodily implications of that, which you can, you know, you can explore, it kind of opens up the story in a different way. And um, I think we get a little bit glib at the way we read over those sentences. And yeah, what does that actually mean?
2: And you almost revenge on Zeus by giving him a failing body by the end of by the end of the section. You know, he's he's kind of hooked up to all these things, he's old, he can't really hear, he's kind of just, his capitalizations aren't almost aren't horrible anymore, they're kind of pathetic, he's just yelling. Yeah, which I kind of felt. that wasn't a question. That was a comment, oh no! (laughs) One of those awful people. (laughs) Um, Any questions?
3: (laughs) Thank you. Um, I was really interested in the ability of the poems to be present to the experience of depression as an, a- an alienation from one's internal life force. And I was wondering if that was something you wanted to make evident, both on its own account and as a possible response to trauma.
1: What do I want to explore, kind of depression, as an alienation from the self or a distance from the self? It well, was a sort of alien... You, you made
3: depression very comprehensible and it seemed to be sort of an alienation from one's own life force. And I wondered if I'd, I'd read that right or not. Yeah, no, well,
1: I think definitely is a divorce from your own life force, isn't it? Uh, what do I do when I write about depression? I think, um, But I think when I'm, if I'm writing about depression, that's also, for me, a way of fighting it. Yes. Because if you are, or when you are depressed, writing isn't really on the cards. So actually, writing is part of recovery and part of articulating where you've been uh, and naming it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no,
3: totally, and, and very meaningfully. It was very powerful to me to sort of have such a silent thing. To be able to make it heard was fantastic because it's so hard to express, and you really expressed it for me.
0: Thank you. Yes, as a non-poet, um, and also as a man, because I'm the only guy asking a question here, um, the, um, what drew you to writing poetry, and do you see yourself in the other, art, other art forms as you, uh, as you move on? Mean that prose as opposed to poetry?
1: I would love to write prose, but I'm not sure it's on the cards. I've always written poetry. Um, and that's always how things have come out for me. Yeah, I'd love to I'm so in awe of people who can sustain a novel or a novel length poem or but I think you get what you're given. <laughs> uh, I seem to be have poems, yeah.
0: Is it because they're short and uh, a vignette? or
1: I have no idea. I think, I think it's, uh, I'm just interested in language working in a tight space like that. And that, yeah, it seems to be those compressed forms that work for me. I did try writing a novel once, but it just got kind of filthy quite quickly, so, <laughs> yeah. so I gave up on it. it <laughs>
3: <off. laughs> Sounds good. Um,
2: (laughs) Did you read poets when you were younger? Is that when you were a child?
1: No, well, I did. I guess I kind of found poetry when I was reading it when I was about in in sick form. So Mm. Hughes and Heaney and Plath and that kind of gang, Mm. I kind of fell very strongly for, but I, it wasn't around, poetry wasn't right. around. And I read a lot, but it was novels and Dickens. Yeah, that kind of thing for a serious <laughs> child.
0: <laughs> Is this unfair for you? Because I, I know that you have written longer prose works in the form of criticism, and in the form of academic stuff, which I always find really interesting to be kind of hovering in the background of everything that you do, that I know that you've written a PhD about Ophelia in particular, and the way in which Ophelia gains articulacy through um, inheriting or mimicking or appropriating other older forms, whether they're song or kind of folk ballads. So yeah, ballads <laughs> and so on. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I, I guess I kind of, yeah, I just... I wanted to kind of reinsert that sense that you have always been interested in a kind of articulacy that came through appropriation, through appropriating discourses, and that all of your poetry seems to me to be amazingly caught between those moments where you find articulacy via voices of others in the same way that Ophelia might find articulacy through ballad or and so on, and then those kind of moments of, of intense Intimacy and unmediated, unquoted, do you see what i mean there's, there's you seem to me to find liberation in the quotation as well as in the the unmediated voice, so I mean I guess you, you want a question mark at the end of that don't you? yeah, I guess I'm just kind of saying, do you not i kind of I kind of really just want to ask you where is Ophelia in all this as well and and do you, are you still articulating Ophelia? <laughs> as a kind of way of thinking through how one might speak but only via other voices or only via other forms and that your liberation is kind of caught up in quotation at the same time?
1: Um, I don't, yeah, I don't feel when I'm writing poetry that it is kind of mediated through those forms. I think um, they're just what you move in when you're writing poetry and what you move in when you're writing at all, I mean, those stories are something that you move in, aren't they? They're kind of things you can inhabit. And I'm not sure there's much. I'm not sure I'm being, I know that I'm not being conscious about it. And that my academic work used a different, I feel like it used a different side of my brain. And that this is more, I just go with my instincts. So I'm not trying to use any vehicles. I'm just trying to say something yeah, right. Is that okay?
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, I think we'll probably call that
1: the end. Uh, thank you, everyone, for coming. Buy some books. Uh, thank you so much to Fiona. Can I say a huge thank you to Daisy for being so generous and coming and presenting this, and you need to buy her book because it's amazing. Buy all the books. <laughs> yeah, buy all the books. Thank you very okay.
2: much. <laughs> yeah, everyone, thank you to Fiona.
0: Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.